Remain standing at this time and open up with me to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. We're going to have two passages this morning, and Matthew 16, 21 will be our first one. And this one's really going to set the stage for what we're talking about today. So Matthew 16, 21, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised again. And then if you would uh, skip forward a few pages to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26, this will be our main passage this morning, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you uh, here to White Oak this morning. I'm glad you guys are here. My name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And uh, this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to invite you guys into a story. And for many of y'all, it's probably a story that you've heard about many, many times before. Probably a story you know from childhood if you've spent any time in church. And for others of you, it's sort of a newer story that you're discovering all that it means for you and for your life. You already know the characters, I'm sure. You have God, you have people, and you have a cross. And this morning, I want to take us into that story. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but I wonder this morning if the story still excites you. Like I wonder this morning as we celebrate the death of Jesus, as we talk about this story, I wonder if we see how breathtaking it really is. So this morning, in order to help us do that, in order to help stir your affections, to get you ready for this story, because you don't just jump into a story of this magnitude. You don't just jump into a love this deep without getting your mind acclimated to it a little bit. So this is what I want you to do with me first. I want you to picture with me uh, this idea you've been dropped into the middle of a city. All right, so you picture this, you're in the middle of a city. And you've never been in this city before, and so naturally, like a normal person, you begin to explore this city, right? And so as you're walking along, you begin to realize that this is an amazing city. At every corner, there is a building that is so breathtaking. And each building is unique in its own way. And you begin to to walk more and more, and you begin to explore the city. And this is an amazing city. It smells like rain, or maybe perpetual Christmas. Whatever smells good to you, that's what it smells like. 75 degrees, no humidity. And as you get to every corner in the city, you find that there are amazing shops. And there are gardens, and there's cherry blossom trees growing up at every corner. You get the picture, right? It is an amazing city. Let's say as you're walking here, you see someone that you know, a friend that you know, and you run up to her and you say, man, this is an amazing city. I can't believe how amazing this city really is. She sort of chuckles to herself and she's like, yeah, it really is an amazing city, but but how much have you actually explored? And you say, oh, about three or four blocks or so. 
she, she chuckles, right? She chuckles. She says, let me show you something. So she takes you to one of the buildings, and she takes you into the building, and she, she takes you into an elevator, and you begin to go up in this elevator. And when you get to the top of the elevator, the, the doors open, and you find that you're standing on the roof, and you step out, and what you see is absolutely breathtaking. From this vantage point, at the top of the building, not only do you see the breathtaking building, but you see neighborhoods and rivers, and you see uh, 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 neighborhoods, all these different things. You see valleys, and then around the city, you see maybe ice-capped mountains that would put the Himalayas to shame. It is a breathtaking view. And as you're standing there at the edge of this building, looking out, looking out at this full panorama and this full beauty, you find that you could stand there forever. Why do this is where I want to take you this morning as we talk about the death of Jesus Christ. Because there's no other story that is full that is as full a panorama as God's love for us as this. But in order to take you there, I feel like I have to do something first. I have to explain something first. In order to do that, I have to show you why we need a dead Jesus. And uh, you may not expect me to put it quite that way, but I, I feel like we've heard the story of the cross and we've heard the story of Jesus' death so many times that it sort of lost that breathtaking wonder that it actually is. And so that's what I want to help us do today. And what amazes me is that there are some people who, who don't even see the cross as central to Jesus' message. Like they like to take one part of Jesus and say, man, this is what Jesus is all about. And the cross was just sort of a byproduct of a man who, who was willing to die for what he believed in. And so I wonder this morning if maybe we fall into this trap sometimes in not seeing Jesus' death as central to who he is. Maybe we fall into this trap. Some people see Jesus as a good example. Right? Our society likes to see Jesus as a good example. So they say, hey, if we just follow what Jesus did, then society would be better and we would be better as a people, right? So they say that the greatest gift that Jesus gave to us was a good path to follow. He's an inspirational figure, and so we should follow him just like we should follow uh, the Buddha or some guru or, or whoever people follow these days, right? That's where they put Jesus, and while I, I think that Jesus is a good example for us, I think that seeing Jesus just in that way is like exploring just one little block of that amazing city. How about this? This is probably one that we uh, more fall into sometimes. Sometimes I feel like we see Jesus as someone to go to just in times of need. Right? And so, it, so if you see Jesus in this way, when things get really bad, you're going to get closer to Jesus and closer to the church. But then things, when things start getting better, you're going to start pulling back a little bit, right? Because you don't really need him as much. I call this Jesus the Walmart Jesus, right? I'm going to hope that sticks, so get that in your mind. The Walmart Jesus. Think about what do you do at Walmart? You get in and you get out as quick as possible, right? You get in, you get what you need, and you get out. This is the Walmart Jesus. And, and while Jesus does uh, help us in life, and we can go to him in times of need, I feel like seeing Jesus just in that way is like exploring just one block of that amazing city. And if we're not careful, and if we don't keep Jesus' death central to the gospel and to our church, we might fall into the path of, of worshiping the good example Jesus, or worshiping the Walmart Jesus. But this morning, I want to show us that we need to worship the crucified Jesus in him alone. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you'll let me this morning, I want to take you to the roof of that building, and I want to show you the full 
breathtaking panorama of God's love for you and for me and for this world. Because you don't get that with good example Jesus, and you don't get that with the Walmart Jesus. You only get that with the death of Jesus. And lastly, what I want to show you today, and I want to get super practical, is I want to show you that God intends for the cross of Jesus to be the thing that helps get you through your life. It is the practical application of the Christian life. Like, we don't need one, two, three steps to be a better person. We don't need life hacks. We don't need tips and tricks. We need the crucified and glorified Jesus to help us with the sin in our life and to help us with the discouragement that we face each and every day. So I want to discover that with you together today. So as we descend into the story this morning, I want you to turn with me uh, back to Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. We're going to open and look at that together today. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 21. And this is sort of earlier on in Jesus' ministry, and so let's read it here together. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and to be killed, and on the third day be raised. All right, so let's do a little bit of a recap. So you guys probably know the story. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was a pretty popular guy, right? I mean, he, he was feeding the poor, he was healing the sick, the crowds were coming to him by the thousands. You could say he, he basically went viral, right? Jesus went viral in first century Palestine. People loved the guy. But then, kind of along the way, the, the more he taught, the less popular he became, right? The more he taught, the less popular he became. And that sort of sets the stage for our passage here. So about halfway through Jesus' ministry, as his popularity begins to tank, and as opposition to him begins to rise, because people weren't really liking him anymore, the leaders, the religious leaders, political leaders, they didn't really like him, right? So, so as he's going on, and as opposition to him ramps up, Jesus lets his disciples in on what's about to happen to him. And what he says shocks them. Jesus said he must die. And so as I talk about why we need a dead Jesus this morning, I kind of want you guys to know that it's not me really that's saying that. That this is Jesus Christ saying that. Jesus says you need a dead Jesus. It's not me that's saying it. It's Jesus that's actually saying that. And there are many people who want to define what Jesus is about, and they want to define what his mission is about. But to Jesus, his death was his mission. So if we're going to worship the Jesus of the Bible, and if we're going to worship a powerful Jesus who can actually help us, we cannot separate his teachings from his mission. No matter what random commentator says, or random author, or someone we see on TV, anyone who tries to separate the death of Jesus from his mission is not getting the right Jesus. And the problem is, that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And let me give you an example. I want you to think about who in our society do we respect the most? What, what occupations in our society do we respect? Feel free to call them out. Doctors, okay. Web developers, okay. A few more, a few more. Wait till they get the one that I actually want you guys to say. 
So this is, this is the route that I'm taking with it. So we respect teachers, and I may put teachers in this category, but my main thought is people in the military, right? Our police officers, firefighters. I'm thinking the people who put their lives in harm's way. And I'll put teachers in there. You know, you guys, you put yourselves in harm's way all the time, right? But, but these are these, the people who are willing to lay their lives down for a cause or for freedom or for whatever it is. We respect those people so much. And that's why people respect Jesus so much problem is there's a difference between someone who's willing to die and someone who says they must die, right? Like if someone comes up to you and says, hey man, I'm willing to die, you know, I'm willing to die for you, yada, 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 we respect that person. But if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I must die and I have to die in order to help you, then we're drifting kind of into a crazy world, right? So imagine you're with the disciples and you've been walking with Jesus for a while And then your leader gathers you together in a little huddle and he says, hey, I'm better to you dead than I am alive. That's where the disciples were at in this moment in Jesus's ministry. And in fact, if you don't mind my terminology, Jesus went so gangster with it that he said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I pick it up of my own accord because that is the mission and the charge from my father. So whatever you know about Jesus, you got to know this, that Jesus, in his mind, he came here to die. So if you're going to embrace the Jesus of the Bible, you're going to embrace a Jesus who believed that that was his mission. And the reason I highlight that first is because that is so important, because when someone's going to die, that ups the ante, right? It kind of raises the stakes, right? That's why good example Jesus is not really enough for us, and that's not what the Bible talks about, because good example Jesus doesn't really need to die for us. But when he dies, that means that there is something at stake. And we're going to get more and more into that. The reason a death is involved, it means it makes everything else more glorious, more powerful, and more wonderful than just some guy who wants to help us through this life. And so if you go back to our amazing city, you can imagine that right now you're done exploring the blocks. But right now we're in the elevator and we're rising up to the roof, right? We know that Jesus said he must die, but we're not quite to the top. We're not quite seeing the full picture, but we're going to get there. So now, if you don't mind, if you would turn with me to Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. We're going to get to our other passage this morning. And it is a good passage, and it, it may be familiar to you guys a little bit as we read it. So let's read it one more time here. Uh, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread... And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." So in our story, we fast-forwarded a little bit. We started out halfway in Jesus' ministry, but now we fast-forwarded a little bit, and we're at the night before Jesus is going to die. And if you've read this text at all, you know that we celebrate this text every single Sunday morning when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? I'm sure if you've been with us at any amount of time, you know that the Lord's Supper is something that we do to commemorate Jesus' death. So you know that the Supper represents his death, his broken body, his shed blood. I'm sure you guys get that. But what you may not realize is that Jesus blew the disciples' minds whenever he says, take, eat, this is my body. 
And I'm going to explain that to you. It's going to take a little bit here, but if you'll walk with me, I think you'll find that it is really, really amazing. So what you may not know is that this little meal that they had, which seems so simple, was in the middle of a Jewish festival called Passover. You guys heard of Passover before? I'm sure you guys have uh, a little bit. But in order to understand Passover, you had to rewind a thousand years back to uh, a time in a time in Egypt, a kingdom called Egypt. And the Jewish people, also known as the Israelites, had a, had a special connection with God. So basically, God spoke to these people, and then they spoke to the world. That was sort of the relationship that God had with them. Now, the problem was that these people who were so-called special and connected to God were enslaved by one of Egypt's pharaohs. Right? You kind of wouldn't expect that. People who had a special relationship with God enslaved by another country. It just doesn't seem to add up, right? And so the people pray to God, and God raises up a man that you may have heard of named Moses to deliver the people uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, right? Which sure, I'm, I'm sure that was a, a kind of a hard thing to do. So he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. I think there's a song about it, right? So he says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? He says, no, I'm not letting these people go. These people are profitable for us. You guys do a lot of labor for us. There's no way that I am letting these people leave. We're going to continue to enslave you guys. And by the way, we're going to make it harder for you because you asked to be let go. So Moses uh, goes back, kind of defeated a little bit. So he goes back to Pharaoh again, and he says, hey, let my people go. What does Pharaoh say? No, I'm not going to let your people go. They're profitable to us. And by the way, you're bothering me by asking me so many times, so I'm going to make you guys work even harder because you asked me to go. So Pharaoh is resolute, and this goes on for a little while, but he doesn't let the people go. That's when God steps in and sort of flexes his muscle a little bit, right? You guys know the story. So God steps in and he brings plagues on this land. I mean, if you can think of like apocalyptic type events, that's exactly what was happening here. You've got locusts, you've got frogs, you've got water turning to blood. I mean, any much, pretty much any much uh, apocalyptic event that you could think of, that's what happened in this story. So if you're interested in that, go to Exodus chapter 7. There is some crazy stuff. But the amazing thing is, after all these different things happen, Pharaoh continues to say no. And the people of, Indri- uh, people of Egypt continue to enslave the people of Israel. And that's where the Passover comes in. So one night, God tells the Israelites to share a meal together. And he says, I want you to share a meal. And he says, but I also want you to do something which we might find a little bit strange. He says, I want you to take a lamb, kind of like Mary had a little lamb, right? He says, I want you to take that lamb, and I want you to slaughter the lamb. And he says, I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to put it over the doorpost of your houses, because death is coming tonight. And so basically what God does is he sends sort of this angel of death or something like that, and every house that did not have this blood stain over the door ended up having their firstborn die. Pause. When we hear a story like that, we think, man, that sounds kind of harsh, right? But I think this story shows us two things. And the first is that there is consequences for sin and disobedience, right? That in this story, we see that the Egyptians' sin causes hurt to other people. And in the same way, our, our sin causes hurt to ourselves and to other people. 
And so for me, it's not that far off to see that God is going to step in and punish sin. So we see God's justice in this moment. But we also see God's mercy. God said that any house, whether it was Egyptian, Israelite, whatever it is, any house that had the blood over the door would be rescued and would be saved and would be delivered. And so God, uh, as you could probably tell, God uh, goes forward with the plan. And very soon after that, the Israelites end up leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. They're delivered up out of it. So after hearing this story, only now do you realize how blown the disciples' minds would have been as they celebrate this Passover meal and as there's no lamb. And what Jesus basically says is, I am the lamb that takes away your sins. I am the lamb that delivers you from sin and from death and from the pain and consequences of all the things that you've done. You'll notice when we celebrate Lord's Supper here in a a little while, we don't cook up lamb chops in the kitchen and bring them in here, right? We have bread, we have uh, wine or a cup or whatever, but we don't have the lamb because Jesus is the lamb. We need Jesus because you've been passed over. We need Jesus because you've been passed over. That is the whole point of the gospel is that we were under this this threat of sin and threat of death. And Jesus Christ, through his cross, rescues us from that, delivers us from death, and brings us into new life with God. The stakes are high, right? Good example, Jesus is not going to help us with our sin, We need the Passover lamb of Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin. And so maybe that's a practical takeaway for you guys today to recognize that every time you open the Bible, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, whether it's the first book or the last book, every single verse, every single syllabus either points to the cross of Jesus or points back to the cross of Jesus. The cross is the highest view in the Bible. Every event looks either forward to it or back to it. So this morning, what I'm going to try to do is I've started off theological, right? I want to start off very theological, but I kind of want to move as we go along into the practical. Because I know you guys come in here with very real hurts, very real problems. And I want to show you guys exactly why the cross is practical. So bear with me. We're going to get there. But we got to understand the theological before we move to the practical. So let's go back to our verses here, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. And he says, uh, what does he say? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So in a moment, not only do we see that we've been passed over, but we see that we need more than Jesus' unbroken body and his unshed blood. What Jesus is saying that as long as he's walking around on the earth that we're missing out on the full blessing of God in our life. That his unshed blood and his unbroken body is not enough for us. Something had to happen to Jesus. Jesus had to be struck down in order for us to experience the full blessing and grace of God. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, he was pierced for our rebellion and he was crushed for our sins. God's plan to restore the world and to save us from our sins involves striking Jesus dead. Jesus had to be struck in order for us to experience new life. His body must be broken and his blood must be shed. 
What the gospel of Jesus, Jesus doesn't try to do, and what we as a church are not trying to do, is say Jesus is giving you a new morality, now go live that new morality. That's impossible. We can never live up to Jesus' example, and that's why I, I hate on good example Jesus, because we cannot follow that example. That is religion an arrogant and boastful attempt to reach up to God. And that's the trap that we fall into every single day as we have this choice presented to us. Am I going to believe the gospel of Jesus and his cross? Am I going to believe that that's sufficient for me? Or am I going to believe that plus just a little bit of work? Or, Or just a little bit of something else, right? If we're doing that, we're not believing that the cross is truly sufficient for us. I like to think of the cross like this. I like to think of the cross as God throwing a carton of water or a barrel of water against the ceiling, smashing it over the heads of thirsty and dying people. Like that's the image when I think of Jesus on the cross because that is what he has done for us. We were, durst, we were thirsty and we were dying and Jesus has poured out his blood over us to live in new life. What the gospel of Jesus says and what we're trying to do as a church is point you guys to the fountain that is the cross of Jesus. And if you're sitting there, the question for you guys may be, well, well, how do I access that fountain? Like, I want to access the fountain. It sounds good, but how do I actually access it? And the answer to that is very simple, by faith. Faith in Jesus' death brings you new life every time. Faith in Jesus' death brings you new life every time. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So if you're in here today and you haven't been following Jesus, you're sort of new to this thing, the only work that you do for God to be pleased with you is have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That's the work that we are going to preach from this pulpit till we die, that faith in Jesus alone is sufficient to rescue us. And you'll notice I put, uh, brings you new life every time, because sometimes I feel like if you've been in the Christian life for a while, you think that the cross in Jesus is something you start out with, but then you graduate away from that and you move on to like deeper things, right? We always want to get to the deeper things. We want to learn deeper truths and all that. But this morning, my call for you is to come back to the cross and to rest in the cross. There is nothing deeper in the Christian life besides this, because this is something that we need to remind ourselves every single day. And like I said, I know you guys have very uh, hard issues in your life, and you have discouragement and sin, and you're looking for something to grasp onto. And the reason I talk so much about the cross is because I do think that it is the practical thing for you to hold on to. And let me give you an example. I think the cross is the go-to weapon in the Christian life. A few examples for you. Let's say you deal with anger, like me, confession time, right? Let's say you deal with anger, or you deal with being annoyed at situations and circumstances and all that kind of stuff, right? My answer to you is not to, you know, take a deep breath and count to ten, My answer to you is to look at the cross, because in the cross you see the purest and clearest expression of love and patience. So if I want to learn love, I'm going to look at the cross. If I understand the cross, I understand love and can live it out. How about this? Maybe you're coming in here and you've got guilt 
You've got just the baggage of guilt and shame of the things that you've done this week, and you just, you just, you just got it in your mind, right? My answer to you is not to really do better. My answer to you is to point you to the cross. Because the cross is the clearest expression that all your sins are totally covered by Jesus Christ. How about just one more? Maybe you've come in here and you're struggling with busyness and anxiety like many of us in our modern world, and especially here in America. My answer to you is to focus on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing else for us to add to that. We can meditate on that and we can be refreshed. You say, well, how do I have faith? How do I build faith in the Christian life? I mean, John and I talk about this all the time. Read the word, prayer, Christian community. Man, we are going to preach that till we die, man. Every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Wednesday, we're going to preach. Read the word, be in prayer, gather in Christian community. Because these are the things that cultivate faith in your life. And uh, I love how John brought up the idea of the workday, uh, and we had that yesterday. I appreciate you guys coming up. But like John was saying, you, you don't realize how much dust collects on the window seals, and you don't realize how much weeds grow up in the flower beds until you actually go out there and you begin looking at it. And so just as yesterday we went back to this church and we pulled up weeds and we dusted the window seals, you've got to cultivate the faith in your life by doing those things. Because if you don't, weeds grow up, and dust collects, and all these bad things happen, you begin to be pulled down, and you're not living the life that God wants for you uh, in this life. And so I encourage you to build and cultivate your faith this morning, White Oak, and to root that faith on the cross of Jesus and on him alone. That's why I'm preaching on the cross this morning. So as we uh, draw to a close, um, you, you may have noticed something. You may have noticed something that I talked about the death of Jesus a lot and we alluded to it and we talked about the Lord's Supper and what that means. But we didn't actually read the death of Jesus, right? You would think on a Sunday morning where I'm gonna talk about the death of Jesus and the crucifixion and as we look forward to Good Friday, uh, this Friday and an Easter next Sunday, you think we would talk about the death and and crucifixion of Jesus and actually read it. And the reason I didn't do that is because I, I kinda wanted to build the tension a little bit And I want you to imagine right now that we are at the top of the elevator and we're stepping out onto the roof and we're about to see the full panorama of God's display for us. So if you would turn to one last passage this morning and it's in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 22. And as we read it, White Oak, I want you to picture Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood shed for you. This is the full panorama of God's love for the world. So let's read this passage together. It says, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross And when they came to a place called Golgotha, meaning place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now. For he said, I am the son of God. And here are just a few more verses. It says, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it saying, he's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other says, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. White Oak, behold your king. The Roman soldiers mocked him saying, all hail the king. But we celebrate and praise him saying, all hell crucified King Jesus. So this morning, I want you to feel that in your hearts. That Jesus Christ is the greatest king because he died for us. I want you to feel that this week. And I encourage you to maybe read this passage a few times this week. Or read the one in Luke or the one in John. I encourage you to come with us to our Good Friday service as we contemplate and think about this amazing event. And I encourage you to come next Sunday for Easter because the cross of Jesus is just the red carpet to the resurrection. So I encourage you guys to be encouraged with that this week and to live in this reality that we live with the King who loves us and who died for us. So let's pray and let's celebrate that this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, You are so wonderful. In your word, we see this full panorama of how you you had to send your son. And he had to die. And the reason he had to die is because we had to be covered over by our sin, Lord. And we had to be rescued and put into new life. So, Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you for these people, and I thank you that you love them so much that you would die for them. And I pray that right now that we would put the cross of Jesus back into our hearts as central and as foremost and as king. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we praise and honor you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.